Welcome to the 25th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, Shu starts rough. He claims it's the 24th meeting and tries to reuse an old Benji quote before being called out. He recovers nicely, though, to lead our main topic, which is startup investing, a legalized form of gambling. The episode quickly devolves into us guessing at the likelihood of success for companies with products and services ranging from sex toys to software to milk. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Junto Club. Welcome to the 24th meeting of the Junto Club, where we are inspired by an original Junto Club founded by Benjamin Franklin around 300 years ago to discuss topics including science, technology, politics, and business. So the goal, of, the goal is about learning. So the topic usually we talk about is something that we know nothing about and are not qualified to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and the topic that we, are, we know nothing about for today is startup investing, aka gambling. So, um, so as usual, we are with, with us today on the eminent Dr. Michael Penanati and Dr. Matthew O'Brien. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, in honor of, I guess, in so to start with, I guess, in honor of Independence Day last week, I so I want to ask you guys: Did you celebrate? The birthday of the second best country on earth. <laughs> I don't know what the second best country is, but you know, I watched some fireworks for the America. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched Macy's on TV. All right, all right. I usually go to fireworks, but I didn't. Bother. That's good. That's good. That's good. All right. I thought you were gonna. Add, I thought I would just give you a chance to ask me who is the first con- first country. Oh, I know <laughs> what you're going for, sure. He's going to say Taiwan. <laughs> oh, damn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, all right. Uh, anyway, so that's a, a side. So, so you, per usual, we'll start with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And today's quote is, quote, nothing brings more pain than too much pleasure. Nothing more bondage than too much liberty, end quote. Thoughts? Did we do this one? I I'm feel not like, sure. I feel like I we've done so. this one. Do we? Uh, we may. All right, hold on. We can search <laughs> all of our old ones. See okay. If it comes up. My bad, then. <laughs> well, no, no. You're, it's possible. Mike but... is right. Uh, oh, <laughs> this yeah. was meeting number six. This exact quote. Shoot. Okay. <laughs> all right, my bad. Let's do another one, then. Do you have another one on red hand? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh. From my, I don't, I don't have it in here, but I think it's when when someone befriended you, remember it. When you bef- when you befriended someone, when you befriend someone, forget it. End quote. Okay, I feel like this is similar. I feel like this he there was a similar quote we did in the past where uh, something to the effect of like. You know, if someone's willing to do something for you, like you can trust them more than someone like someone you've done a ton for. Mm-hmm. And I guess mm-hmm. so in this same 
vein, I guess it's like if someone's friendship you sought out, you know, then you there's like uh, you don't necessarily have an assurance about like their dedication to you because it's like you sought them out. Where whereas someone I guess who tried to befriend you, like you you know that they're like you know they remember it. Well, I mean, well, they're, well, they're interested in being a part of your life. Mm. So it's like, so it's, it's like, it's easier to trust them to like, you know, be a positive part of your life versus, you know, someone who, uh, like you may just be trying to like fit in their life and you may not. Got you. Okay. I don't know. But then, I guess that was my immediate. Anything from you, Matt? I was thinking more or less the same, you know, someone who took the time and effort to befriend you is obviously much more interested in that Mm -hmm. relationship. So you could argue it's, you know, more valuable. And it's it's not that you couldn't end up having a good thing with someone like you sought out, but Mm. you know, you never know. Maybe they just tolerate you and don't even like you, but (laughs) yeah. So I think the key is what does befriend befriend mean? I would feel like befriending someone is making an attempt to go beyond just like being an associate, someone, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe at somewhere, but like, you know, Oh, you're the guy I see at work or the gym or something or person. And, you know, mm-hmm. why don't you, you want to go do something fun, right? Like we'll yeah. go bowling or to the movies or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, yeah. And that's what immediately come to me when I thought, when I, th- when I read that quote, but I think when I, try to find out what actually befriend mean. I think it means like doing favor, right? Doing something like for someone. So if you interpret it that way, it means that if someone did a favor for you, like did something for you, remember it. But if you did something, a favor like for someone else, forget it basically, mm. right? So mm. then that means like, for example, if you, a lot of time I, you did your favor for someone and then someone did not return a favor, you became bitter and I said, Hey, I did this for you. You know, you almost not just, you know, you don't return anything, not even a thanks or anything. Right. So you became bitter. So basically I think what he says is that if you did something for someone, right. Forget it. Forget mm-hmm. about it. Right. So don't, don't expect anything in return or anything. But if someone did something for you, you just remember it that way you in the future, maybe you can, return a favor or do something for them as well. I think that's, and it's in the end. I think that, any, that made more sense to me based on mm. the quote. But yeah, I, I, I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. I, yeah. I agree. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, speaking, uh, I guess, transition to, is that uh, another smaller topic? Matt, Mac? Oh. <laughs> you post yeah. it? Yeah, I had put this. Have you heard about? Um... I can see that because you like to put you, you like to put jabs on poke jabs in China. <laughs> Was it lying flat? It's a a new social movement that China's trying to crack down on. What was the social movement? Uh, hold on, they had a name for it. Yeah, it's called lay flat. There was, I was looking for the Chinese name, but yeah, they had, there was some word for it. But basically, someone went viral just relaxing. And I think it's an interesting because as, as China's kind of developed mostly, some people are transitioning from like the like working to survive mindset to the sort of, you know, looking for more meaning in life, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. But what's the what's the title of the New York Times? The New York Times article, right? What's the title? 
You need to read the title. <laughs> These Chinese millennials are chilling, and Beijing <laughs> isn't happy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Lazy Chinese millennials. Yeah. Yeah. Was it oh. Tang Ping? How do you say that properly, Xu? Uh, Tang Ping. That Tom means lying flat, basically. Yeah, Tang means lying down, and a flat ping means flat. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you explain the story a bit more? Like why why did you want to? I just to thought it was funny. We, we don't need to talk about it too much, but basically, some guy just got fed up with his like job, and mm-hmm. he just did it right. He's just like, I'm gonna quit, live on like as little money as I can, and just relax. And then he, you know, kind of made like some social media about it with like pictures and stuff, and it started to go viral. So then other people started to copy him, you know, lying flat. So he's got like pictures of himself like going to places and literally just laying down. But it's more metaphorically lying flat. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. looking for some of these people are looking for jobs. They might work, but they're looking for work that's got like the least amount of time to commit to get just enough money to live, yeah. right? So they're not trying to be like hyper productive, like earn as much money as possible, accumulate wealth as much as possible. They're just, you know, they're valuing their time and experiences first. Yeah. Yeah, and China doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. The Chinese government is cracking it down. I censor on the articles, the post, social media posts. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, which is good. I mean, I guess uh, it's it's almost like a first world problem now, right? It's people used to survival now. You know, when you the second generation is like just being lazy. That's how you know <laughs> they've made it. Yeah, <laughs> the next generation becomes just lazy because they were just given everything. Well. You know? So I, I feel like this is approved. Like UBI doesn't work, right? So if you, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. you got it <laughs> debunked. I'm I'm done. Yeah, can you see that? I mean, if China do that, you know, otherwise you're gonna gonna go life flat. You know, maybe it's proof that UBI is important because these people are doing important things for society and they should have enough money to survive, yeah. so mm-hmm. they can you know spread their gospel of lying yeah. flat. Anyway, if if anybody, if anybody like this movement, I recommend uh, you should read uh, Four Hour Work Week, mm. a classical. It's, uh, it's my it's my favorite book. So mm. by Tim Ferriss. <laughs> All right, you'll have to you'll have to discuss that one one day. But for today, we should move on to startup investing. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right. Oh, be- before we go investing, have you heard Nancy Pelosi got you know like the uh, controversial thing that like, he's husband or something his family just basically like bought a lot of the like, option stocks um like these big techs like google uh the amazon before and like, i before they do the antitrust thing hearing thing something oh, like that oh i didn't i hadn't seen anything about that because i just saw that like biden released like a their big anti or like yeah antitrust bill today oh yeah yeah i think it's, this week or last week there was like people were just like Saying that oh these, this is like Nancy Pelosi or these politicians using like inside information to make trades and making a lot of money. So, mm. we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think she. I mean, she did. I don't think she used inside information, but of course, the appearance, right, is what matters, right, in politics. So, yeah, yeah. I know people in FDA are not allowed to invest in stocks anyway, but I was surprised that actually like, these politicians are actually able to do that. 
Yeah, I think they're in general able to, but like it, in theory, if they know specific info, I think they're still not supposed to do that. I right. don't know the rules exactly. Well, also, you said it was her. Well, you said it was her family that invested. Yeah, his husband, right? But you know, pretty close, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that. Her uh, husband, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, well, ahead. there's the big controversy before COVID, like you know, the Senate or whatever got briefed, and the Georgia senator and you know was a, one of the other senators like dumped like millions of dollars in stocks before like the huge crash in March. Yeah, Kelly Loeffner, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then nothing happened. That's like yeah. that's like perfect textbook insider trading, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, so I mean, it's I don't know. It's a it's a hard thing because it's like, I mean, if it, like if you heard something that was like pretty definitive, it's like I feel like it would be hard not to try to like use that. But yeah, well, it's conflict, why... right? It's conflict of interest, right? Right. The main thing, like, is is, is it ethical to do that? Like, especially politicians, like, is in charge of like policies, especially when you, policies for like whether you want to break up big tech, right? If you want to break up big tech, you know, if the decisions coming out, like maybe going there, you know, you might, you know, sell all your stocks and like, I don't know, buy shorts and just, I mean, because you are directly your your policy directly impact uh, the market, right? So. Yeah, no, I've heard people make proposals that like, you know, senators and congressmen and stuff should only be allowed to have like, you know, big index funds that aren't specific and you don't manage yourself at all. And that's just yeah. be one of the requirements. Oh, yeah. It's like, like, it's not like you can't invest in anything, but it's just like you can't pick and choose companies or even industries. You just have to yeah. do like the most general stuff. Be like, if you have stocks and other things and you want to be a senator, you just have to sell that and move it over. Yeah move the money over and i think it's a good idea because it just it gets like that's the only way you're going to deal with like the in mm. the perverse incentives right if yeah. if you have a million dollars in something you know that's going to influence what you think about legislation because people are human even yeah. the best are going to be influenced so mm -hmm. yeah but good luck uh getting <laughs> the senate to pass that bill for themselves <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah anyway. oh yeah yeah indexing investing is in best way to go for anybody and i guess i would recommend then to also do startup investing <laughs> i don't know if that gets rid of the perverse incentives but no, because startup investing and the beginning right when a startup is very small right you you don't your policy doesn't really impact that in that early stage right so, mm. so anyway all right so let's go into startup investing then <laughs> so mm. what do you guys know about startup investing I, I know money. there's I know there's venture capitalists who yeah as you said basically gamble money this is my understanding uh, mm -hmm. they gamble money at places and hope it turns into the you know one in a thousand that gets returns one hundred to one on your investment mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know much else besides that mm. Mike. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I was gonna make a joke and basically in the Go same ahead. vein as map. Oh no, I'm basically the same vein as map. But I mean, I just know like a lot of startups will go through like sort of the angel investing period, which is like basically like their family and friends who have money, like give them enough money to like make some, like, like some minimal products or usable products that they can then. Uh, 
like test and or in theory pitch to like other people yeah and uh you know that's i guess where maybe the venture capitalists and like external investors would come in and you go through like a series a b c like funding phases and try to like garner money uh from like larger investors like making relationships with like different like industry people you may need to make relationship with uh, relationships with to make your like product or company viable and yeah yeah and i'll say family friends is it's not really angel investing you could call it angels but angel invest investor they are they are basically you know like individuals with a lot of money and then mm-hmm. they just invest in different startups in the beginning right they just write checks for that and family friends i uh, whoever like in your network you can you know get money from your grandma grandpa and stuff like that right so those are family and friends uh, angel investors like anybody like you're not related to who mm-hmm. has money and then you, and the venture capital of course is uh, almost like a firm organization right and they have a lot of money from other rich people and then they basically almost like money manager right manage this money and then put it in startups right yeah Mm-hmm. So here's an important point that I want to see if this is correct, Shu. So yeah. from what I can tell, it looks like most of these don't ever intend to be profitable. Rather, they simply want to get enough investment to make themselves look successful and get the next wave of investment and just keep the pyramid scheme going, you know, mm-hmm. as long as possible. And then, uh, you know, until yeah. it crashes. Yeah, some, I would say some, start, some startups, uh, the goal is just to raise money Right, you so you need to kind of distinguish between these kind of startup and then some startup that actually try to uh, build something nice, useful to people, right? And then yeah, you you are right. A lot in startup world, how they measure success is whether you raise a lot of times you see like if you like I don't know like a lot of news release oh this company raised this much money. I I think a lot of founders, a lot of people try to build company they too much focus too much on fundraising they use that as a metric like, as a success right even sometimes if you're raising like maybe 100 million dollars or you know 10 million dollars sometimes people try to say oh this is success 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 already and then they kind of lose their way afterwards so yeah some companies are like, like that but not all companies are like that yeah Mm-hmm. But you are right about it. Yeah, that's so I think that's one of the criticisms. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, some company could be Ponzi schemes, right? So yeah, and that's why I call this, you know, startup investing is gambling. That's not, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yeah, as you as you're right, startups basically you know, what makes gambling super risky is because it like I think nine out of ten startups fails, right? Ninety percent of the startups fail, right? But the, 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 on, the, on the other side, that's the downside. The other side, if you hit one like Airbnb or Uber in the early days, like when they have like only, when they had a value, like maybe three, when they first start fundraising, they were valued at like $300 million. And now they are like billion dollar company, right? So that means you return is like 100,000 times, right? So that's what you are aiming for, right? So even if you put like $100 into a different company, you might lose your company on 49, like, nine of the companies, but if you have one that give you a hundred times, even to 10 times, even just 10 times, you got your money back already, right? But if you're a hundred times, you are good, right? You make, you're making that double your money, right? So stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so, so that's why I think the upside is high, the low, and the downside actually is limited, right? So the upside is almost like it's exponential. <laughs> the downside is 
you only you know how much you're gonna lose, but you don't know how much you're gonna gain, right? So this sounds just like buying call options, where they say <laughs> infinite potential profit, and you have a hard limit on how much you can lose. Yeah, and I will remind you that the roulette table at a casino also has infinite potential profit with a limited amount of money you can lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so anyway, so I mean that's why I gamble. That's why I still call it gambling, right? So anyway, but why do I like? I don't want to convince you guys to do solar investing, but mm-hmm. what I like about solar investing is that I guess the main thing is that uh, nowadays you cannot really rent out. Now you cannot get rich by you know renting out your time. Basically, you need really need to own something, right? You, you can either start your own company or invest in other company. Also, get stocks, get stocks in that company. So basically, you need to own some equity. And then I would say the one thing I like about startup investing versus like investing in stocks, stocks is that startup investing, you once you invest it in a company, right? You you basically leave it and forget it, right? You you cannot take the money out for like mm-hmm. the next five or ten years or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really once you put money, you, you almost like forget about it already, right? Maybe in ten years later they say, oh, you lose all your money, or five years later you lose all your money, but. Well, in the stock market, you actually track your, you, you have a chance to see your stock go up and down every day. And this is very emo- emotionally very draining. So if you are not emo- emotionally uh, strong enough to, to take the hit, right, you might, you know, you, you're going to get heart attack pretty soon, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I like the fact, that, the, the fact that you can just leave it and forget about it, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You can treat that, okay, you flush down, flush your money down the drain, the toilet and stuff like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and then hope it shoots back out with 10 times yeah. as much later uh, yeah, in a few years. Exactly. So an, another three other points that I like is, is, is a one way for me to practice decision making, right? I've seen a company, I, you know, figure out how, what's the best way to make decision. It's a way for me to practice decision making, right? And then the other thing is actually, I think we talked about uh, last time about Lee Kuan Yew, the Singapore president, thinking about like human capital, right? It's a good. Mm. It's a way to invest in. Uh, I, I think startup entrepreneurship is a good way to multiply the human capital, right? So you basically like, invest in the people like that you trust, right? And then or you like, and then hopefully there will be success. If not, at least they try, right? And then the other thing is that if you're a startup, is uh, uh, you can. It's very. Pre- if it's success, it's productive, right? Even if you fail, it's productive too, because you know, okay, this idea failed, but at least you try it, it doesn't work. Right, move on to the next one, mm-hmm. right? And is, so this is like uh, it's quite productive versus like if you invest, put money in, like in arts or you know sports cars or something, it's really not productive, right? So mm. yeah. No. Anyway, so last point on risk. I think I, I heard something about is it is risky, but sometimes you are taking sometimes you might be taking more risk when you are not taking a risk. That's something I heard this week. I heard that's pretty good. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I'm not It's This is like you miss every shot you don't take, but I don't yeah. know if it really applies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, no, it's sort just, of like just... the lottery. You can't <laughs> win if you don't play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, this is just a quote I like. That if you're not taking a risk, sometimes you are actually taking... Sometimes, I mean, you are taking more risk by, more, by not taking a risk basically i guess you could interpret it that you know if you look at like the expected outcome and gains like if 
if like the expected outcome and the gains make it worthwhile, right? Like you, the mm-hmm. total result is likely you to be profitable. You could argue it's actually riskier to not do the investment, right? Mm-hmm. right. If you could just calculate those things, which on these sort of things, you know, obviously you just have to guess, but mm-hmm. is that, that's one way to interpret it perhaps. Yeah. I guess if you look over like my 10 year net worth, if I take the risk of like, investing in these companies is you know x and my um you know whereas if i never invest because it's risky to invest my 10-year net worth is likely to be you know y which is x minus a million dollars you know then it's better to like it's less risky to take the risk but Mm. yeah i mean everything Basically, everything has risk associated with it, right? It's not when you co- when you don't communicate, you are communicating something as well, right? When you're not saying anything, you're actually saying something. Anyway, so let's move on to since uh, I talk about why I like doing startup investing, but how do you do that, right? So, well, the first step to me is talk to people who are smarter than you. So that's that's why we, I want to talk about this with you guys today. Since you got you guys are smarter than me, so <laughs> you, you you I think you guys bring uh, a very healthy dose of skeptic skepticism to stuff that I talk about. So that's why I like about you guys. <laughs> Remove the word healthy, but <laughs> <laughs> that's true though. I think I do think you sometimes get pretty excited about this stuff, and then yeah. sometimes me and Mike are like trying to shoot down your fun. Like this is a dumb idea, that's good. That's good. you know, which maybe is overly critical sometimes. But it's probably good to have that other perspective. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'll start with questions for you guys. Now, how do you decide? Before we go in, how do I decide, and why know how to decide? But just from like, right now, like, how do you decide and what do you look for if you, I give you a startup like, to, like, hey, do you want to invest in this startup? I mean, so for me, when I was looking through some of the ones you, you sent us, the, the immediate first thing is like, does either like the problem they're trying to solve or the product they're putting out make sense? And so, and obviously, like I'm not everyone, right? So there's markets that I don't understand or have a frame of reference for Mm -hmm. but so there's things that have been successful that i'm like this isn't a good idea and it's been successful but i would say you know the majority like i feel like as just a human being you know right you probably know are familiar with the majority of potential markets you know Mm. so the majority of things would apply to you and you can say you know does this just make sense to me for something to use uh and i mean that's pretty fundamental right because like if you don't have a good product or idea in the first place to go Mm -hmm. with i don't think you're gonna go far yeah i mean that's the first thing that basically i thought of as well i would say beyond that i also can like tried to think about like i mean again some of these were things i just like industries where it was just like i don't know but like i also tried to think about like are there competitors in the mark like you know how much competition is there and um you know what does this try to address that those competitors don't address or don't like adequately address. Mm. Yeah. But basically is it sort of a, what problem are they trying to solve? And like, what, like, is it a good problem to solve that doesn't have a solution is I guess the big thing. You know, okay. 
what you said earlier, Shu, like thinking about the people and the human capital is a really good point because I honestly, that never crossed my mind. I was just thinking mm-hmm. of them as like disembodied organizations, right? That just somehow <laughs> out of a, a door comes the product that just gets shipped off. But like obviously different people can do the same thing really well or really poorly. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's an important factor that I've ignored. <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Yeah, because uh, yeah, because because uh, if you think about once, if one startup makes something that actually can multiply one person's productivity like ten times, right? And if you apply that to everybody in the U.S. going to use it, you're going to dramatically increase the productivity of the country, right? So just one person, like Steve Jobs, you know, Microsoft, your Bill Gates, and those people, right? Those are mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So um, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, Apple's an interesting case, right? Most infamous for their smartphone, I think, now. Yeah. Um, but, like, they weren't the smart, first smartphone. It was, what, BlackBerry, right? Yeah. They were the first ones who did it really well. Hmm. And that, like, broke it out from, like, a niche thing to, like, widespread use. Yeah, and actually, I saw a documentary. I don't remember the name. It's, like, Magic Link or Magic. Like, it, it has the word magic in it. Magic it's- Leap? Magic Leap, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so they were uh, really... Augment, we, augment reality company, right? No, 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 no. This is a company that went, like, belly up in, like, the nine, like early 2000s or even the 90s, maybe. Oh, okay. We're talking and about they were devel- they, Yeah, they were developing, like, the... They were developing, like, the smartphone... Like, the first smartphone, uh... essentially. And it's, like, they, they... Like, essentially, it was at a time where there just literally was not, like, the network. Like, there was not, like, the infrastructure to have something like that but it's like a lot of the people who were at that company went on to be like at a very important like very important people at google and apple like when iphone and android happened so Mm. so that's a very good point and that's coming to a second thing i want to talk about with you guys tonight so a lot debate in i think in people in investing is like when you evaluate a startup is which one what is more important the idea the idea right the team or timing right mm-hmm. what do you think because i think you you mentioned yeah then your example is like almost like that company is good but it's way too early right so the right, timing right. was wrong yeah. yeah i mean i think you i won't say you need all of them but I mean, I you definitely need timing because, like, no matter how good of an idea you have, if it's the wrong time for it, it just won't work. Yeah. Um. I think I'd like to believe you need a good idea, but I'm not always convinced that's the case. <laughs> so yeah, my my gut instinct is the idea still, but I think my gut's wrong. And thinking yeah. about it rationally, I might lean towards the team being most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. And that's that's good because I, as as I talk about, I think I, I talk about human capital. So you know, I usually like the team. I think team. Now a lot of people say, yeah, team is like someone like would say like team. You a startup only fails when the founders and the team gives up, right? Because mm-hmm. even if the idea is bad in the beginning, usually they actually pivot. They actually sometimes they change one idea to another, right? Nice Slack, nice Slack. It was in the beginning. The, the, they were actually doing a game. It's a game company, and then they, but nobody uh, somehow the game did, did not really get traction, and then the company was failing. And then someone just, and then the, they look at, they look at the company and say, "Oh yeah, this this is a, 
we actually build a communication app within from a company for everybody who use, and that is Slack. So, hmm. so yeah, then they just turn that into using their remaining money basically to that idea and make to turn that into a more useful like product. So yeah, the story of Slack. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so idea can change. So so I'll say also that's another saying is that you always want to bet on the jockey instead of the horse, right? Because the horse is not an idea, but jockey is the one that's riding the horse, right? So you want to bet on a jockey instead of the horse, basically. That's another phrase that you hear people in the investing community talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. So let's so, uh, yeah. So let's uh, actually go. So I think I sent you guys couple, a few companies from republic.co. So it's a it's a crowdfunding platform. You actually right now actually has, a, I think about eighty startups are raising money on there right now, where you can invest like as little as like, not as little for me, but you can you can invest like a hundred dollars into the company, right? So yeah, so for like non-accredited investors. So anyway, so first company I want to talk about is so. So I want to go through the example to see how you guys think about these companies and then how I think about it. It basically is almost like just like instead of like giving you a lecture on how to invest, I actually I think I like to do is go through examples and then walk through is almost like an exercise and then talk about whether you want to invest or not. Hopefully we can learn something from the exercise. Mm-hmm. All right. First company is Nora Nora DiCarlo, right? Mike, you Mike and Matt, have you guys, did you guys look at the company? A little. Yes. All right, Mike, do you want to introduce the company for us? Well, I mean, it seems to be a company that's just getting into like the sex toy industry, like specifically targeted toward women. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Sex toys is not, I thought they are always targeted for women. What do you mean? Oh, not necessarily, but I guess this, like, I'm sure they're the largest consumers, but yeah, no, I mean, there's... Oh, are you talking about there's not a lot of sex toys for guys? I mean... Well, what do you mean? There are sex toys for men. Oh, okay. I guess. I'm pretty ignorant, <laughs> obviously. Alright, sure, you I... can Google that later. Yeah. <laughs> off air. Yeah, exactly. Alright. So, yeah, so basically, I guess the idea is, like, I, I mean, to be honest, like, yeah, I don't know. It's like sex toys by women for women. It seems like honestly, like their big push is essentially that they want to be like, like there's not brand recognition in the sex toy industry. And mm-hmm. like their thing is they want to have that like brand recognition, you know, by bringing in like, you know, a famous, uh, like, I, I mean, I, she's a model. I don't remember what her position is within the company, but owner, part owner. Yeah, okay, part owner. Like so, but it's basically like Who's the actress? Cara D, D, D whatever. She I mean she was a Victoria's Secret model for a long time. I don't yeah. even know what movie she's been in. Mm, mommy, right? We know Tom Cruise. Oh, okay. So Yeah. But yeah, so I guess it's more about the branding than I didn't necessarily see anything in the technology that was like, they, they're like, Oh, it's going to like mirror human touch. But I, I assume like the big players in the space are already doing things like that. So I didn't know what made this different than mm. like, you know, 
I, what made this different than any other sex toy company on the planet other than like they branded it like differently as like we have this star power and it's by women for women type thing yeah yeah so did you look at one of the products i feel like i haven't seen, seen it before like no no osei or something anyway did you check out the products no i have no idea what the products are i mean i assume, I, I mean i assume they're the typical products no there's one product that does like you know usually knows like the sex toy is just like a uh almost like a what do you call that the dildo right and this one i think they make another one that's almost like curve you can do your i don't know yeah those exist okay (laughs) i guess i'm pretty ignorant about this yeah go ahead any any comments no so you know my again my gut instinct was i think probably what michael was alluding to it's like this seems like a crowded market mm-hmm. you know what are they really doing differently but you know maybe they can come in with a, like a brand that is able to just you know i guess just kind of be the cool you know device like the mm-hmm. the one people want rather than just like a random anonymous one that you buy off amazon right i don't know hmm. it's an open question uh it's weird though because like in other areas, I think it'd be more likely to be like for a good brand to work, right? Because like part of what makes an like people who invest in Apple products heavily, right? Mm-hmm. Part of it is like not prestige exactly, but they want to show like it's somewhat it's like showing off, flexing, right? They have the new iPhone and they go around and you know they see it, right? It's kind of like you can show off that you know you're this Apple person, right? Mm-hmm. Like people like displaying that they've done that, but when it comes to these sort of toys, I don't think people are going to want to display or talk about them nearly as much. So I don't yeah. know if like having a brand recognition sort of based ba- brand is as I don't know if it makes as much sense in this market. I'm not, that doesn't mean it couldn't work, but yeah. I don't think it will be as good as, say, the cell phone market. Right. Yeah, and that's, I would say that's one of the goal is to make people okay to talk about it, right? Instead of hiding it, you know, take it out, right? So, Brandon, so basically, you want to empower women to basically, of course, you know, a lot of companies try to do that, right? Try to make it sound, I guess, uh, more missionary. Basically, yeah, now we're talking about, you know, and they want to, you know, more like empower women to basically, uh, I guess, sexual wellness, right? So it's like almost like it's okay to, you know, no, there's no need to hide this, right? You can just talk about it publicly, right? So. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced because, like, I mean, their argument, of course, would be like, oh, you know, sex is fine for men to talk about and da 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 da, you know, whatever. Um, so, but it, it's like men don't, like, for example, pornography, like, you know, okay. I mean, like, I don't know any pornographic company, really. Like, it doesn't matter to me, like, you know, who produced a certain pornography or anything. Like, you don't know Pornhub? That's not, that's a site that okay. dr- brings in videos. It's not who oh. produces them or anything like that. I gotcha. mean, it, it's like, so, I mean, it's like, I don't, like, I mean, I, I just don't know that they're, like, I, I mean, I think Matt made a great point. Like, who's just like, like, no matter how comfortable people are, like, with sexuality and sex and their own sexuality and all this, it's like, is it really going to be, like, you know, something that they're bragging? Like, you know, it's like, is it going to be something they're bringing out at non I mean, literally, like, intimacy is the word, right? Like, mm. 
you know, sex and intimacy are like very like intimately linked. Mm. So it's like, I mean, I feel like that that should right there indicate that like, this isn't going to be the same as like an, Oh, I got the new iPhone or the Mm. new, you know, got you uh, bragging about it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's like, I mean, I I just don't see what this is like again. And this could be because we're biased toward like wanting a good idea to be sort of the driver for a company. Like, I don't see what they're doing here that's different from what I imagine, like, any of the other major brands. Like, I mean, the only, like, I think they had Adam and Eve on, like, all their charts and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they've advertised on every podcast on Earth. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like they, uh, you know, I can't imagine the research that's going into the technology is so novel there compared to, like, mm. what's been done before. I see, I see. So, I guess... Yeah, go ahead. Would just want to say that this is clearly not marketed towards us. So this is one of those areas yeah. where we might not be good judges on what isn't like isn't is not good for a market. Yeah, exactly. You know, so maybe maybe do girls talk about this stuff amongst themselves? Well, maybe they do, but I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, there's always like the bachelorette parties where they'll you know buy each other like the different toys and stuff. You know, it's like so. I mean, I'm sure yeah, which they but, do. Which bachelorette? party did you go to what do you mean i'm just aware of these things happening i got you i mean it's like i mean it's just like i mean i mean it's a very like it's just sort of well known like that girls Mm. will like buy each other sex toys as gifts and stuff and like you know so they can laugh about it and Mm. but i mean it's why because men are useless i mean i don't maybe but the point is like that that i just the, the sex industry is like massive already and mm. like yeah. the 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 page you sent us for this company it was literally just like repeatedly was mm. just like we're a different brand mm-hmm. and it's like so i just like so a different brand to me means i don't know what like what makes the product different gotcha. it's just a different yeah. packaging mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so. yeah. I'll say, yeah. So in summary, I guess you see the product is almost like the it's very competitive market already, crowded market. So you're not sure how much they're gonna market share and they're gonna gain, and then doesn't look like they are solving a very uh, meaningful. I guess not meaningful, more like a problem. Because I mean, the problem is already being addressed by other companies too. Right? Anyway, the, you know, the market and also. What else? I think that's pretty much it, right? Main main thing is competition, right? That's your main main point. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, I think what uh, there's is there are yeah, it's a crowded market, and does their repackaging like provide enough of an advantage to like claim a large portion of yeah. the market? Yeah, I'll say I'll say a lot of brand. I think branding actually is brand is is very. I'll say is very. What do you call that? Big could have a big potential because uh, like Apple, right? That you can see that people trust. If you're a brand, is people trust. I'll say uh, one of the things they they do make say is that is Laura DiCaro is the CEO, right? And then she actually that's her namesake company. And then also is I think she pointed out is a very it's crowded market, but not these markets are usually created by men, right? These companies, the sex toy company, most of them are created by men. Very few of them are created by women for women, right? So I think uh, in this day and age, I think a lot of actually women might, if they see that, they might trust it more, right? If it's 
something that's created by women as well. So, sure. I mean, it's a potential, but I think I do see your point, you know, Adam and Eve and the other competitors, you know, could be easily made a similar product, right? Right. Well, but, that's exactly it. So, and yeah, I think yeah. I was, I was just going to say that I think goes to Matt's point, which is the big one. Like we aren't going to be the ones to know if branding matters in this particular mm, space. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would say, Nate, I do say, um, they also partner with the Oregon State University's robotics uh, program, like student to do research on the robotic, like to simulate human touch uh-huh. on these uh, sex toys. So <laughs> there's a potential there, <laughs> robotics. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but uh, again, this is like how f- far advanced, like, yes, if they came out with like, you know, a fully functional sex bot, you know, that's like <laughs> leaps and bounds ahead of what exists. But it's mm-hmm. like, they're, they're obvious, like, I can confidently say, and I think you'll agree, like we're not at that stage of technology yet. So it's like, mm. you know, I wonder how much like, you know, when they say incorporate human like touch, like, mm. like how well, yeah. far down that road yeah, can yeah, they yeah. possibly really get? Right. <laughs> so we talk about a product and idea, right? So I think what I like about is the, I like, of course I like the founders, right? And then she seemed to be very capable. And then I, I like the mission, you know? to uh, empower women. And then also, now those, the team, the team seems very capable, right? The team seems, looks very capable. Why? Because the number, you can look at the numbers. In first year, they go from zero revenue. Like last year, 2020, they launched in like January of 2020, right? During the pandemic, right before the pandemic. And they were able to make $7.5 million of product. So that, that was pretty good. I mean, a lot, a lot of startups don't make like 10K or 100K first year. They were able to do 7.5. That means they are very capable, mm-hmm. right? And then, yeah, they, you know, they, they are shipping products to like 350 you know, retail stores worldwide right now. And then, so yeah. And then they, I think they also have a very good uh, actress, right? And a modern a, a supermodel, Cara, what's her name? Della Vigna. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think, She's pretty young, so I think she can reach a lot of followings, right? Followers, so yeah. So I think those and the teams, I, I like the team. I think the team is really good. And timing, I think it's a very pretty good timing with the V2 movement, all the stuff coming in. So it's potentially pretty good. So yeah, but as you say, there's a, there's a danger of this company just became more like a commodity product, right? You can replace one with another, mm-hmm. right? So there's like, there's no, you, there's no point of distinction between the other products, basically. Can't commodity work, then, then people really don't, yeah. But anyway, so, but if they have a good brand that people trust, there's a potential. So, yeah. So, yeah. And this, I, I think I have a, based on, I mean, I have a, I'm not sure I will invest, but, so you guys definitely know, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah well. So one, yeah, one I guess one rule of like startup investing is that if you cannot decide, the answer is no. So, well, they already got three thousand percent of their minimum goal. So, yeah, they, they raised like, they raised like three hundred three million dollars already, right? More than three hundred three million. Uh, is it? Mm-hmm. So investors think it's a good idea overall. No need to chase what's already been bought in. Yeah, they raised. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good. Uh, Let's move on to next. I think let's start. I think I start with uh, Upright. This is almost like completely different company. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Mike, you want to talk about upright? This is the one where it's just like milk made from oats, right? Like yeah. it's like so I mean and their big pushing point is that the milk they can create is more like more nutritious than like milk from a cow as well as um better for the environment. So, I guess like lots of milks that exist like don't have both of those right so it's like mm-hmm. traditional milk like from a cow or an animal like is bad for the environment because of the co2 it creates um and there, like many of the uh and i think what is it? like almond milk takes like tons of water to make it's like 11 glasses of water per glass of milk or something mm-hmm. and uh then there are other milks that are like i guess more environmentally friendly but they're not necessarily nutritious so, mm. so, so this allegedly has both. Yeah, you can buy it right now. I think they're instant. I just oh, it comes a pack. Basically, it's better than olive milk because it has a lot of protein in there as well. And that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Eight grain of protein. Just it's basically kind of your pack powder, right? You just add water basically, and you can drink it. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you think, Matt? Mm. So you know, I like it offhand. I think they got a lot of. They have a lot of good things on paper, right? Mm. Like, yeah, being able to say it's eco-friendly, healthier. Um, and honestly, if it's like, you know, if you're selling a powder milk, that's probably relatively cheap to transport and store and stuff. You know, you could see it being good profit margins on it. There's just one thing that concerns me. Overall, I like it. It's probably one of my favorites. And that mm-hmm. could be because it appeals huh. towards... Uh, things I like, like I do meal replacement shakes sometimes. And this, you know, kind of hits a similar niche. Um, the only problem is I've tried oat milk before, not this brand. And it was bad. <laughs> what did like you try? Not, I don't remember. It, I just <laughs> grabbed a normal bottle of oat milk once, like a liquid uh, one already. Yeah. And it did not taste good. Okay. Uh, so that would be my only concern <laughs> is uh, I would like to taste their mm-hmm. instant oat milk, you know, see yeah. what it tastes like. Because uh, you can talk about you could talk about something being healthy and eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there is I, that alone can get you a market in food, but like the biggest market for food is definitely things people actually enjoy consuming. Yeah. Right. Like. Mm. Interesting. Ah, what's oh milk. What's I, okay. And that's actually, that's a, so the taste, I, I assuming they have tried to make it, I think they did mention and they tried to make it taste good. So I'm assuming they tested themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So um, I would say for me, I guess uh, I'm, I like the company. I like the founders as well. They are MBA, right, from Yale. On the other, sounds looks very capable, right? Um, actually, I, I do have something of maybe against, bias against MBAs because I feel like needs, uh, to do a startup, you almost like, need to get your hands dirty. I'm not sure MBAs would like, be that. Right, because uh, if you are hungry, right? I, I feel like MBA might not be as hungry as like other people, but they do. They do have on paper. They do no, like a very good thing. Um, I think one thing the concerning is that they don't have revenue yet, right? Have zero value, revenue because they haven't sell anything yet, and the, the point to raise is to maybe manufacture it. So, mm. I mean, I also like if they really believe in an idea, right? They should, you know, bootstrap, right? They basically get money from either invest their own money or get money from friends or family. And then 
once they do that and they once they have product have revenue, I think you you can tell a better story, right? So right now they I don't know why they decided to do it right before they you know have any revenue, right? So so then that's a little bit concerning because they are not they are not believing. It does, does to me it doesn't look like they're believing enough to put their own money in there, right? So, but not just me because I'm a little bit biased toward bootstrap companies, right? So yeah. So. No, I mean, I had two questions. Like, basically, the only two things I wrote down about this company was, does it taste good, and how much will it cost? <laughs> uh, $15 per pack. I think it's like, give you like 10 servings, maybe, something like that. Oh, well. I think you can go to the website right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, I mean, that's not terrible, but it's like, it's probably not like, I don't know if that's as good as like a gallon of like a gallon of milk is what now? 350, something like that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I see. I see. So yeah, it's a 12 servings, $15 per pack. You got 12 servings actually. So, so what's bad. a serving like a cup? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's less than a gallon, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Oh, okay. All right. Then. So yeah. So yeah. anyway, just, I just double checked. There's 16 cups in a gallon. Uh, so if it's $15 for 12 cups of product, that is pricey. As you say, it's better than cow milk, right? Mm-hmm. Environmental, all the other stuff. But anyways, this one, yeah, it does have potential, but yeah. No. So for you guys, it's no? <laughs> uh, I guess I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical enough to be in now. But... Mm. Yeah, now that I've seen the cost, was there anything about them expecting to reduce cost in the future? Potentially, usually, yeah, yeah, usually they would. I mean, yeah, it's normal as you scale up to reduce yeah. costs and stuff, but you know, is that part of the plan? Are they just like, if they're selling some stuff very early, like is that stuff already sold for a loss just to kind of get some revenue, or mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so let's uh let's good. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. Uh let's talk about Oracle Health. What do you think? Oh, this is right up Mike's alley. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean I I guess I didn't Can you explain the company a little bit? Yeah, okay. So Oracle Health is like uh they have a not a wearable device like i guess it's a simple like pretty simply implantable device that measures heart sounds ecg and has an accelerometer built in mm-hmm. and the idea is to use that sensor to uh, like track like heart failure like you know uh heart failure patient health right over time mm-hmm. so um yeah so i guess that's basically what they're looking at but I mean, I had sort of a lot of questions. Like, I mean, anytime you get into something implantable, it's like, what are the, what's the potential for like infection? Like, mm. you know, what's the like level of discomfort? Like, what are the chances it needs to be replaced? Like, so, yeah, and they, they do didn't... make it. It's very easy to. You can just instead of going to a do surgery, you can actually go to an office and they can just inject it into your almost like under your skin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right, right near your heart, chest, basically in your chest. But it's very, it's, it's not going to be inside your organ, but it's almost like just underneath your skin slightly, mm-hmm. 
right? That way they can monitor your heartbeat and all the other stuff to monitor any potential heart failures, right? So prevention and stuff like that, yeah. I mean, but do they have studies with this particular device that show it's better than like, I mean, there's like clinical grade, like patches people can wear on their chests for like, mm. you know, weeks at a time and they give good enough results. Mm. For, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't see any comparison. They did publish some papers now. They might have to do some comparison, but I did not really go into all these, they didn't read their papers. Right. And then, but I'm assuming so, but they are in like almost like do pre uh, clinical testing right now with 25 mm-hmm. like heart failure patients. So then they are planning to do the clinical testing stage right now. Is I think uh, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's why it's hard. Like that's why it's very hard to start a company like that's targeting like the health health field or the um. Like it, just anything where it's going to be like human health or human well-being or something like that, mm-hmm. because it's like getting the data to be convincing is very very hard. So, yeah. Because yeah. um, I and I mean particularly like heart failure though, like or heart like because I mean like let's face it, like Apple Watch does single lead ECG. I mean, mm-hmm. and it has FDA clearance on certain algorithms. I mean, I like, it's hard for me to be like, oh, we need another heart sensor, one that's like actually going in you. Mm-hmm. Like I would need to like see that like they have algorithm, like the data from that is way better and that way better data like leads to way better algorithms. Cause mm. I mean, I feel like, there's lots of, like I say, there's cl- like the heart, like heart sensors, ECG. That's like one of the areas where there's just tons of companies throwing lots of money at it. Mm-hmm. So. Mike brings up a very good point. I mean, I've seen people do things where they're like, oh, here was like my heart rate over the course of an important day. I've seen people graph it for like their wedding or their PhD defense and stuff, you know, so you can see like a stressful times go up. You see like the heart rate spike and stuff. So, you know, so these you know, are not for cons- these are not for consumers, right? Their target target population is not regular people. Uh, people actually with heart failure, heart problems already. Yeah. Now actually, I think they might have experienced heart failures already, and these are really need like close monitoring, mm-hmm. right? So that's why you need implanted, right? So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, why does that make you need to implant it? Because I mean, like the closer they- the better, right? The closer the better, absolutely, right? You know, I guess. I mean, I think there's a there's a big cost to making something implanted in the body that Mike brought yeah. up. Mm. And uh right. you know, does this bring enough benefit over small wearables mm. to justify the cost in terms of, you know, yeah. having to have a procedure, having to be, you know, go through all of the testing to confirm that it's safe to put into people and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Well that's the thing. It's I mean, when you put it in a person like you need to figure out how to get it out of them, like how well it's going to like make, like keep up like its performance in the person. And uh, Mm. like, you need, like I would just need to see that like being in the person is benefit over being just at like, cause I mean, like you say, they say, Oh, it's easily implantable. It goes just under the skin. It's like, okay, well why not put it on the skin? then? (laughs) Mm. Like, is it really like, is that, is it causing that much of an issue? And also it's only measuring like it has like a microphone for heart sounds and ECG and an accelerometer. It's like, I mean, 
there's other opportunities like to like yeah like i mean like and they only talk about like heart like measuring parameters related to heart health but like heart failure like when a patient is like in acute heart failure there's obviously a weight gain there's like respiration like parameters that are interesting and could be important so mm-hmm. it's like you know I mean, like, it's almost like it's not a complete solution because you're probably going to want to, like, understand those other parameters, mm. um, you know, in order to, like, capture the full patient health. Like, yeah. I mean, I, like, heart failure obviously is directly related to the heart, but those other, like, uh, uh, what are you, like, secondary sort of data points could also be informative in other ways. So. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're saying there's a lot of other alternatives that can compete with this as well already, and yeah, I yeah. I what I think while well, I think yeah, so a couple of things uh I like about this company is the I think the team looks very like very capable, looks very uh, experienced in this area, right? But I do concern about the. Like it seems like the market might be not might not be as big because if you only focus on half faded patients and how many are there, there might be limits. It's an immense to... market. They say they say there's a million addressable markets. So there's six million people who have heart. You mean a billion? One oh, million, million people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, they yeah. say six million have heart issues in general, and I think they say one million of that six million are addressable by their device, right? Because not every heart patient's going to be this isn't going to yeah. be relevant for all of yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, heart failure is a big market. So. Oh, okay. I, right. So I think again, I think here it's something that it's a little tough because this is not a market. Any of us, well, may, except sort of Mike. The, you know, yeah. we don't know this. If I could talk to a cardio thoracic surgeon for like 30 minutes yeah now i think they could give you way more information on if this is going to be likely good or not because mm-hmm. it'd be just interesting is the people who would be prescribing this potentially right mm-hmm. what is their perspective on implanting something versus telling the person to wear a smartwatch or some other heart monitoring band you right. know um there's a lot of details with like you know, so implanted, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to worry about them not putting it on or things like that. So there's, but I don't know how big of an issue that is for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, I, and I, I can say just from what I understand, I mean, remote patient monitoring is like, you know, like coming, like a maturing field. So it's like, I think the doctors really like they would be the yeah the ones to sort of talk to if you're coming across something like this to like be like yeah would you actually use this would the would you think the patients would actually like be willing to have something injected into them to like monitor their them at home versus I think yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think one of the main points that actually they their main problem addressing is that it's very convenient right just two minutes insert it and then you're done right it's not gonna interfere with everything else, right? And then and the main problem to address is a lot of people wearing like the wearable stuff. It's very bulky, it's very uncomfortable. You need to wear it all the time. You know, you cannot just put a shirt on and do everything, right? It's just in a way, right? So the problem is a lot of people are not wearing those stuff all the time, right? Because they, they get lazy and they don't want to put it on and stuff like that, right? So this is going to be on you all the time, right? Showering, do everything, right? So... 
Mm-hmm. And we, I think, I think then I just remember, and that's what they were talking about. That's the main problem they were kind of addressing you know, in a way. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, compliance is a big issue. And if I guess if it's like literally just like it goes in you, it keeps working all the time. It very yeah. ne- rarely needs to be replaced. And it <laughs> gives you data on par with like, you know, like the best clinical grade stuff that's out there. Then, yeah, it's probably like it's probably something good to invest in because, like I say, heart failure is a good market and like remote monitoring for heart failure patients is an up and coming thing. But um, I All guess, right. uh, yeah, just the, like those questions about like they would need to show like the that it like you inject it and it's just good for a long period of time. Yeah, that it doesn't cause infection or anything like like there's not an issue with like infections and things like that. And they would need to show that the data they're getting is like on par with like yeah good like good data. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. True. The main concern is that is there going to be infection, right? How 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 good is the implantable, right? So right, right. Well, like, yeah. How does the implantable like interact with the body and like? And I would say this is almost equally as important as like is the data like reliable? So. All right. Cool. All right. And this idea, and I want to. Let's, wow. let's go to last one century ai we're going to talk about five minutes and then we can conclude this podcast okay uh, yeah so might you want to uh matt do you have you did you look just, at it or you want to talk about it uh describe what it is uh you want to let mike do it still uh you know i had only skimmed these before i okay got distracted and didn't do my proper homework before this so exactly. i can't describe it yet besides it says ai for security but i don't know what that means mike yeah, go I, ahead I, I mean it seems to be <clears throat> when i first read it i thought it was going to be like robotics like you know yeah. like uh you know robots driving around and they're like yeah, security yeah. patrol but it seems like it's mostly a software solution yes so basically it's uh you know like you your company has cameras like all around you know like a, a warehouse and it has cameras all around the inside and outside of the warehouse mm-hmm. and uh basically this software is designed to like identify like the appearance of people identify like what they refer to as like you know like out of place behavior or something like mm-hmm. that and I guess report it to like a security, like a single security personnel who can like yeah. then address it. But uh, so they say like, if you leave a human looking at, you know, I don't know how exactly how they quantify this, but if you leave a human watching like, you know, monitors for 30 minutes, then they miss up to like, you know, 50% of what happens on those monitors. So yeah. this, I guess, is like, you know, essentially like it, nothing will be missed because yeah. it's... Yeah. It's almost like a virtual monitor security guard for your home and business, right? So you have a yeah. camera, right? And the software just like runs and scan the images and try to detect if any like uh, anomaly, right? Anything like specific going on. And once they detect it, they alert you, say, hey, there's something going on. You might need to check it out, right? So it's, it's almost like, yeah, virtual security guard monitoring using camera software. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's your thoughts on this company i guess i question about how much um is done in like the uh like how much this company is working with like individual businesses and like how much personalization there would be because i feel like you know there's like yeah like i can go to open cv and like 
you know, in, incorporate like face ident like face identification in a video stream. And what do you mean by personalization? A personalization to <laughs> your population or personalization to your company need? Yeah, well, the company need. That's what I because like what constitutes like weird behavior? Or, oh, okay, yeah. Or like even like I guess yeah. I mean, and this could be more personalization in a way that's like very very feasible and relatively easy is if you had like picture and i i don't know with privacy laws if this would be like allowed or not but it probably would but like if you had pictures of your employees like these are the people the camera should be seeing Mm. you know and then if you see like faces out that don't match that like alerting them but i mean it talks about like you know like trying to like i classify like abnormal behavior it's Mm. like well that depends on the space you're in like mm-hmm. i mean is abnormal behavior like oh we identified running and this is a space where people shouldn't be like running or mm. you know we identified theft but like mm. how do you identify theft versus like uh someone at a like someone working at a jewelry store taking out a piece to show like customers versus like i see i see yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. how do you customer customer customize it right yeah exactly so yeah so i mean i think like yes it's the idea is like oh it's brilliant to like you know yes to have an ai analyze video streams to recognize things that shouldn't be happening happening and you know we talked like there's examples of like labs and stuff trying to do it for like you know terrorism and like big public spaces and things like that Mm. right but um sort of trying to recognize suspicious behavior is not an easy problem yeah yeah all right what about you matt so I like it. Um, this is probably my favorite one so far. Mm-hmm. So there's a clear, like, there's a few things. First of all, it's a software company, right? So those just much easier to like expand mm-hmm. and, you know, get things out. Once they have that initial software, their costs aren't huge. They have to maintain a software team, but you know, Software is always good to sell if you can sell it, yeah. basically. Two, yeah. there's like clear, there's a very clear, like how this can benefit a business. And a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of going to be a lot of large businesses and buildings that have stuff monitored, right? So there's a very easy sale for them, mm. you know, um, both in potentially cost saving for the companies if they can reduce the amount of like, say, guards they need and just, you know, increase performance, right? Yeah. So I think like the core idea is really good. Um, I think the market, in terms of like companies that make these sort of technologies have a lot of uh, potential to get a lot of money. Yeah. And Mike brought up some good points, but so at least they say there's some stuff about continuous learning mm-hmm. or, you know, self-optimization as they run. Right. And I think a big question would be like, yeah, how do they integrate it with the business? Cause it shouldn't just be a plug and play. Like here, I put my camera feed up to this website and you give me an alert, right? There should be mm-hmm. some customization options for users to be like, oh, at this time, there shouldn't be anyone in here or, you know, yeah, or there's people doing this sort of thing. And if it's something else, then it looks weird. Mm. You know, I think there's potential if you if it's set up well to like let people integrate those sort of things so you can kind of guide it to help know like, oh, at this time in this place, what is and is not okay. Mm. Um, And if, and I mean, if, if it gives an alert, right, we think there may be something suspicious. If they're actually continuing to learn online where someone can be like, no, that's fine. And potentially they're getting constantly getting new training samples. And that's another thing, right? Like all their customers are constantly giving them new data, which Mm -hmm. is really good for like a company that's selling, you know, a machine learning algorithm and AI. They can make that 
product better over time too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the only question I have is the competition in the market. Cause they yeah. bring up, talk about some of them. They like mention them and they say theirs is better, but it wasn't a lot of details about why. So like, yeah. I think the idea the, the company and idea sounds great. Yeah. What, what I would want to look at more is other companies and then what Shu talked about earlier, like the team, like who's actually, who are the mm-hmm. engineers behind this? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, are they, do they seem like they got a good team to make this? Cause this is definitely like, if they make the best product like this, there's going to be a product. Let me say it like this, this sort of product is going to be a big business. I would guarantee it, but mm-hmm. are they the company that makes it big is the question. Yeah. Like, it's not like powdered oat milk where I'm like, I don't know, maybe it, maybe not. It's a big thing, right? Like this is going to be money. A lot of people to enter as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's my opinion. (laughs) That's good. That's good. All right. I think, uh, that's pretty good. I think I like this company too, especially software. You can like, there's one thing about software you can make it, just code it once and then you just sell it all the time. You don't need to, you don't need adding another capital to scale it, right? So it's very easy to scale. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I think uh, the time for today is up. Yeah. It's for Mike. So Mike need to go in three minutes. So I think that's, that's pretty good conclusion, I guess. Let's conclude it for now. With, uh, yeah. So the other, a second rule. So first one, if you cannot decide, the answer is no. The second one, I would say only invest from other people, no advice is only invest in technology, right? Like, that's why maybe oat milk might not be a good idea, right? Because technology have very easy to scale up, basically. It's just like the, the century AI we talk about. So yeah, anyway. So if starting, I guess, yeah, just focus on technologies first. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mike, should we? Yeah, I can. Do you have any any th- other thoughts we need to quickly mention before we go? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I uh, I don't know if we have a topic for next week yet. We can I, talk about that later. Yeah. Hold on, we gotta. What we gotta do is we gotta come back in six months. So I picked my favorite. What was your favorite, Mike and Shoe? Real quick, just which was your favorite? Mine was I'll say Century AI. That's a tough one. Um. Oh uh i mean i i i think oracle health has i don't know if six months is enough time for it but. <laughs> yeah. all right we got to come back in a year and see all right shoot real quick, last last thing which would you I, pick I, out of I, these anything about sex i like so sex toys of all right in a year we're gonna yeah. come back and see where these companies are at right laura di caro yes okay we'll see who's grew the most who got would have gotten rich on investing who wouldn't all right sounds all right. good all right. See you next time. See you next time. We are no longer live. Junto Club.